I still don't see how you can live here. Why not go someplace where you can do the world some good? As opposed to someplace where good is needed? Even God gives up at some point. There's no ministry in hell that I ever heard of. No, there ain't. And that's well put. Ministry is for the living. That's why you're responsible for your brother. Once he quit breathing, you can't help him no more. He in the hands of other parties. So you got to look after him now. You might even want to monitor his train schedule. You think you are your brother's keeper? I don't believe think quite covers it. And Jesus is part of this enterprise. Is that all right with you? And he's interested in coming here to this cesspool and salvaging what everybody knows is unsalvageable. Why would he do that? You said he didn't have a lot of free time. Why would he come here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unwatchable Podcast. I am Brent Evans, and I'm here with Ben Norris, and we are chatting about The Sunset Limited, starring and directed by Tommy Lee Jones, starring alongside Samuel L. Jackson, written by Cormac McCarthy. Zero dollars at the box office, because it never saw a theatrical release, and no consensus on Rotten Tomatoes, because only one Rotten Tomatoes-approved critic has reviewed it. This is a film which is close to Ben's heart, so I'll let you kick things off, man. Go for it. It's a film that I can understand no one knowing about it because the way I found out about it was just through sheer luck almost. This is why it's dear to my heart because I watched it when I was sort of very much of the mindset of Tommy Lee Jones' character in Mr. White. I liken it to my dinner with Andre. Two people, Samuel L. Jackson, Tommy Lee Jones, Mr. Black, Mr. White in a very small, very dank apartment and it's just basically those two talking about life death and everything in between but so this came out in 2011 i think if it came out just a few years later when netflix is starting to roll i think it would have found a more of an audience it's a film that get that really gets you thinking and you've really got to be in that kind of mental state. Yeah, well, there's no there's no plot, so there's nothing to keep you engaged outside of dialogue. I, I would very much disagree with the wider audience thing because uh, just because of the nature of the film and you know how everything sort of plays out is likely the reason why it never sort of saw a distribution to start with. So it was a it was a HBO film. Yeah, but I still think it would have found an even wider audience than it currently has if it was more available. Yeah, there's there's a reason for that. I'd say it's the same reason why I never saw a, a distribution or a theatrical release just because of the nature of the films. Not very marketable. Would not be a profitable movie even though it's probably made for $5. It is a play written by Cormac McCarthy. It's a two-man play. What sort of drew me in is, I mean, you made a comparison to My Dinner with Andre. For me, the comparison sort of stops at it's a two-man adaptation of a play. Or it's an adaptation of a two-man play. My Dinner with Andre feels like you're watching a movie. Whereas The Sunset Limited, you can tell it was a conscious decision. You feel like you're watching a play. The performance, Tommy Lee Jones is outstanding. They both are. It's Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, so when I was watching it, I sort of felt like I was watching a theatre actor versus a movie star because I don't think Samuel L. Jackson can turn off the movie star. You really feel like you're actually just watching a play like right there. Look at a bit of the cinematography and the way it's lit and it, everything looks like a play. So it's it's lit from the top down. Not that it looks flat because, you know, there's the good balance between focus and just separating the actors from the background. You do notice the set a lot more than, say, you would in, like, more cinematic-looking 
Looking film, you wouldn't notice the background as much? Well, I think it's also because they made the conscious effort to make the apartment look almost like the conversation that they're having. It's a, it's a dark, gritty, dirty content that they're sort of talk, discussing. You know, it's it's something that you don't really want to have to handle with, but sometimes you do. Yeah, and it's a pretty it's a pretty old, drab-looking. Not particularly, you know, I wouldn't say dirty or, you know, filthy or anything like that, but it's just, you know, the cupboards are old, the floor's old. You can just tell. Just the old windows, the paint's chipping off. <laughs> yeah, it's... um. The attention to detail is really good because that's all there is in this film is the attention to detail. For me personally, it's, I don't, I don't know, it's, it's an experience, I guess. <laughs> the first time I watched it, I had that feeling of human culture and intellect, you know, the sciences and all that sort of stuff. That's the bedrock of, of everything. It's basically a discussion of the human condition, really. Yeah, and having the malleable mind of a, of a late teen, early 20-year-old, just watching that whole discussion unfold really really spoke to me and made me need to go back and watch it a couple of times just to really uh, get a grasp of it and understand it that's why it really sunk its teeth into me and kind of didn't really let go is because it, it helped me form the sort of psyche that I have now and the, the mentality that I have Watching it now, I can see where some of my ideas and my thoughts, where they sort of originated from, they've come from that film. It does play well as a debate back and forth between Tommy Lee Jones, who's quite despondent, and Samuel L. Jackson, who's not evangelical and he's God-fearing, but he's God-fearing, he believes in the Bible, believes it's pushing through life's struggles is what makes it all worth it at the end. The debate between the two, yes, does make for an interesting, not so much like a video essay like you said, but more like a, you're watching a debate like, say, Christopher Hitchens squaring off against someone or what sort of stops it sort of working as a film is the, the lack of, I guess it's the lack of story, really. You're sitting down watching two men sort of going back and forth and then that, you sort of get to the end and you're like, okay. It's always up to the person if you want to sort of learn anything or take anything away from the film. But I feel like there's films that have done similar things while still telling a story, whereas Tommy Lee Jones just seemed to want to adapt this play in its absolute purest form, which was let's just have a philosophical debate. If you respect it that way because it's it's pushing the boundary of his experimental, not going, not going full Dogville, but... <laughs> It was making me think of Dogville sort of the whole time. You know, I feel like I'm watching a play and then I'd think back to Dogville where there's no sets, just the soundstage and everything's marked out with tape. Similar in that regard of oh, how much can we make it look like a play or feel like a play where it doesn't work and sort of part of why there's no, there was no huge distribution of this and why there probably never will be is that lack of personal resolution for sort of anyone really for me it's not so much the end of the discussion as it is the discussion in general like you you hear oftentimes in film where it's like just if, for example the ending of inception where it's like oh was the top spinning or did it stop did it keep going and what does that mean and it's sort of like well that doesn't really matter what matters is everything else that happened before that and i, I kind of get the feeling that the end of that whole discussion and the way that film ended it, that's not the really important part of it the discussion was going to end there was no there was no way that thing was just going to keep on going forever and ever it was the ending was inevitable it was just a more of a case of the journey getting there which is what most yeah that's sort of that's, that's filmmakers that's try to do generally what i'm getting anyway. at is the ending doesn't matter it's you know, it's the journey yeah. and the story that is told between the beginning and the end. But there is no story. It's just it's a discussion between, you know, the characters. The characters so themselves for, are, for, are the story. But in terms of 
any See, yeah there's just like oh it's hard to sort of hard to pin down as a film because it's you know there's plenty of films out there where the characters are the journey and these characters are the journey but if it's more it's more the words are the journey than the the men themselves the discussion is the story yeah which is why for me it doesn't you know it doesn't work as a film because it's i'm just listening to two people who have a conversation <laughs> Yeah, no, I get, I get it. Like, film is meant to be a visual medium. It makes perfect sense that if you come at it from that perspective, this film is not going to have a lot there for you. Film pretty much encompasses every medium, which is why it's for me can be considered one of the pinnacle, you know, pinnacle of art because you, you need everything. But you're gonna have some, you're gonna have your own personal biases, right? So you're gonna, you're gonna, there's gonna be certain things in film that you're going to be more drawn towards than others so you're going to be more drawn towards a more visual uh story than say you know a a a discussion-based one not exactly because some of my i'd say some of my favorite movies if you took away the visual element and just had the two people the way the way the movie is constructed around the conversations it still tells a really amazing story. So something like The Hateful Eight, which grows on me more and more over time. You could yeah. take out a lot of the visual imagery, yeah. which does take away some of the power of the film, but it's basically a movie of conversations for three hours. Moving through those conversations, I guess- it still tells a really powerful story where this is sort of, you know, it's... The story is two men conveying ideas, you know, uh, how how we as humans sort of confront our own mortality. It's just a strange, strange experience to watch because it doesn't... I don't want to say you don't learn anything, but you sort of walk away feeling... No, so for me, you do learn something. It comes down to each individual, which is, for me, I learn a lot. And that might be because of when I watched the film. You know, I would say, hazard a guess is to say a lot of the what they're talking about, you probably already have a good grasp of. So it's probably not going to have such an impact on you. Whereas... For me, that's the reason why I watched it two, three times like in a row was because I just needed to get all of it to understand all of it. And so that I just the, this, that, that discussion for me is just like a story or a, it's almost like a book I could just keep coming back to. Just keep reading it over and over. Yeah, and that's over. sort of why that's sort it's of why it's a really weird experience because it doesn't feel like two characters. So, you know, we talk about discussion movies. When it's done well, you sort of really feel with like you're actually watching these characters go through a journey, even in a conversation. Whereas sort of watching this, it's like even if you've got a firm grasp on it or if you don't, you still walk away sort of feeling like you've just watched a debate. So you could probably Google similar topics on debates on YouTube and probably walk away with the same sort of feeling. What was intriguing for me was the way that it was made to feel like a play, which is really cool, and that's what drew me in yeah. straight away. Especially, um, yeah, Tommy yeah. Lee Jones is just, i got to go, and the ex- everything was exaggerated. Alec Baldwin sort of describes film as harder than theatre because film, it's right up close, and you have to be subtle. You can't get away with... Well, I mean, sometimes you can get away with being over the yeah. top, but so every, everything's right in your face. Yeah. I mean, they take they do a million takes, but you know, you've got one shot to get it right. Whereas a play, you know, you take it on the road, you have oh, to yeah. get it right every time. But you're also way further back, generally, so you can project a lot more. Yeah, it it is a lot more lot less about the subtle nuances of your actions and more about yeah. The and I think nature. Tommy Lee Jones does that perfectly. Like it's an intimate play, and you can tell it wouldn't be performed in you know in front of thousands. It'd be in a small playhouse. But the theatrical aspect would still be exactly the same. That was what sort of impressed me the most from the film is how well Tommy Lee Jones directed it as well. So how well he he sort of did all that while directing it as well. And yeah, the Samuel L. Jackson thing, the movie star thing is, uh, it's pretty well documented that he 
that he doesn't take advice well. He wants to do things his own way because, hey, he's Samuel L. Jackson. It doesn't well, surprise yeah. me that he couldn't turn the, the movie star off, but it does make yeah. for the perfect contrast between the two as well. It does. Be, yeah, like you, you just described it <laughs> as that con- almost as that contrast that, you know, you have Tommy Lee Jones as that sort of one who can who switch off switch off the superstar thing and that does that sort of more uh almost theater film style of just like you know knowing when to really turn it up but then really just bring it down and be very careful and and subtle and complex with it where and then you have Samuel L. Jackson who was just Samuel L. Jackson that's that contrasting style which does work but I would disagree with the notion that you said earlier about a lack of character development at the end of the film or more like you don't feel like you're going on a journey with the characters you're just listening to, to two people like it feels to me like a line reading like they're sitting down doing a line reading whereas I'm sort of reading in between the lines like I'm looking at the reactions of the char- of the characters just as much as the, what they're saying. When Samuel L. Jackson's sort of getting up, one up on the argument, you know, where he talks about in order to experience pleasure, you must have pain. Mister White just immediately changes the subject and then sort of talks about. Yeah, he does. He does that often. He brushes it off. That's sort of what I mean. Is it that's sort of immediately apparent in the characters? He's because he brushes it off. He wants to leave immediately, and he tries to find every excuse to leave. He does that, but then like he, there's certain points where like you know they'll be talking about a jailhouse story or something that's going on or like something will pique his interest and he'll press on about that he'll he'll ask about it and he seems to do it a little bit more as the uh, film goes on not realize i don't think he realizes it himself either he's still he keeps getting you know a bit more, more a little bit more antsy but he keeps but he does keep pressing on i think it's just the floor of the just the way that tommy lee jones decided that he wanted to tell the story which you know is in the format of a play and with the you know performative aspect of pretend you're on stage there's just a camera in front of you. I think that's sort of a part of the of the floor as it seems pretty much verbatim, I think. To the script, I think Cormac McCarthy wrote the screenplay as well. So it's probably yeah, just did, yeah. completely word for word. In presenting it so much like a play, it feels a lot more like line reading. Say if you watch something like Glengarry Glen Ross, the movie, and then sort of went and saw the the play. Just because of the the two different performative aspects, if that makes sense. It feels more like two characters reading lines rather than a natural flowing conversation but if you know that's sort of the intent of how how the film is presented but it is a flaw of the presentation style would you say though that it's because like as glenn gary glenn ross has more than two people talking has movie stars in it as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah but what i mean is that like it's it's not so much it often only has two so it's usually See, it's either monologues or exchanges between two people. So there's, I think, five people in the movie, but it is exchanges between two people. If you want to look at something like, or compare it to something like My Dinner with Andre, it feels like that's just a conversation that two characters are having. Or even if yeah. you look at, say, a Tarantino movie, it's probably the most obvious example for me. Pulp Fiction or sort of any, probably countless examples of just two people having a conversation. And then you sort of like, Where's the plot to this movie? Pulp Fiction is probably the best example. It feels like it. you're sitting there watching two people making it up as they go along, whereas this feels like they're reading it off the paper. But I think it's that's the deliberate presentation of it, mm. which makes it... I don't want to say it's bad. It just makes it like a strange experience, and it sort of detaches you from the people having the conversation, but attaches you to the words that are being said. Makes, you know, which sort of ties it back to sounding more like a debate rather than um, yeah, like a character study, if yeah. that makes sense. The film clearly says... Don't worry about the backstory of the characters. 
too much. I mean, they're called Mr. Black and Mr. White for a reason. They're not even Mr. Black and Mr. White. They're white and black. Sorry, white and black. (laughs) White and black. There you go. Not even Mr. They don't even have a gender. Like, you get a tiny little bit of the backstory of white, but that's only to help with the actual overall story in question. There's no other content or context other than the actual discussion and debate going on. And for a lot, I can understand it. For a lot of people, that's going to be a turnoff. But for people such as myself, I don't mind that. I can be like, cool, this is a movie's intent to not care about any any of that apart from that. Cool, I'll, I'll go with that. I'll go for that ride and see where it takes me. The lack of name, pronoun, gender, Mr. Title, anything like that. And where it's set in a way that everything is framed in the apartment, the way everything is shot in the apartment, even the way black dresses. Sort of gives the immediate impression that it's purgatory. Yeah. And even at, even yeah. by the time you get to the end, you, it's pro- it's probably purgatory. Like I don't think this is happening. Even even in the context of the film, you sort of like I don't know if this is actually happening in real life in this movie. It feels like it's these two guys are stuck in purgatory, or one of them is, and one's trying to help him get through purgatory. And what the movie does really well is the framing of the two men when they're talking, crossing the line cleverly. Obviously, the most criminal offense. In a film, we can do is cross the line. Yeah. <laughs> Filmmaking one hundred and one is like you know your first your first semester at film school is what the line is, but he crosses it appropriately. Crosses it, he crosses it well as well, so you're not too confused. Because you know when you cross the line, you get confused. Spatial awareness gets completely thrown out of the window, but you can do it deliberately. And when it is done deliberately, it generally works because it's been done deliberately. I was gonna say it's it's done for a purpose. Yeah, and you know, he does it he yeah. does it really well to sort of convey the the shift of power in the conversation. So it's not a conversation mm-hmm. of power, but it's you know, how well that person is communicating what they're trying to communicate to the other person. And that's sort of like when you brought up white is the one that sort of wants no bar of what black is trying to say generally, whereas black is yeah. taking what white is saying on board and then saying, Well, you know, here's this point of view. The shifting, the shifting of camera angles, the shifting of the, the lines sort of moving around everywhere. They move around in their seats. Tommy Lee Jones moves around a lot. Yeah, it does a really good job of shifting that balance of power in the conversation because obviously if they just sat down at a table where you put a camera in front of them, then you're literally watching a debate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so he does, that- while he is presenting it like a play, like it's two men sitting down reading lines off a play, off a script, Yeah. the way that he... He uses film art to, you know, to its full effect that it can in this in this movie. So mm. it's really well directed, you know, for the content that it is. But it's just sort of, I guess you leave feeling empty, which you kind of do with the Cormac, most Cormac McCarthy movies anyway. I was going to say, that, that's, that is the point. I think that is the point of the film is to make you kind of go, oh, oh. Like, at the, like the, the very, very initial reaction at the end of the film is to make you feel like, white is it feels is is that because that's the whole point is that you kind of through a little bit of it you you are if you're intent in listening in on this conversation and and kind of getting understanding of it all then you kind of end up going into the eyes of black because you're like because you're you're not you know, you're obviously not conversing like black, but you're sort of taking in what white's take, throwing out. And so because of that, you end up sort of kind of like feeling very empty at the end of that film. Um, and then uh, it's only a few, like a little bit after the fact that you kind of go, 
you start to think about well, why that is, and that's why I love the film. Otherwise, then that's only if you're actually you know actively what uh, listening in or yeah, actively watching it. It's interesting because Cormac McCarthy sort of in the wrong hands can go very badly. So the counselor is something that was yeah, it's Ridley Scott, two really opposing forces personally. I mean, Ridley Scott's a visionary, but... Um, and then you look at The Perfect Storm, which was No Country for Old Men. So he wrote the book. He didn't write the screenplay. The Coens wrote the screenplay. But that deals with, you know, themes of hopelessness and, you know, finding your place in the world is basically the same sort of stuff that's being talked about in this movie. And, you know, the end of No Country for Old Men, they kill the main character off screen. The bad guy gets away. And then it's... The movie just suddenly ends. Tommy Lee Jones is, you know, telling a story to his wife and then it's cut cuts to black. I was going to say that's that film ends on a conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but the Coens, yeah. I mean, a lot of their films deal with hopeless. You know, that's sort of their their wheelhouses. Yeah, I guess hopelessness, change. I mean, you look at this movie like like I said, it's sort of a discussion about the human condition. You get to the end of the movie and you're like, don't know if I understand it any more or any less, which basically sums up the endless debate of the human condition. condition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a strange experience watching it. I mean, it's. For people who are sort of in, into that kind of into this kind of movie, it's definitely both hands up. It's worth it's worth peeping, uh, but yeah. it's it's one of those films where you wouldn't be, you know, if you could only ever watch ten movies, that would shape your film <laughs> experience. This would be far from <laughs> be far from the ten that I would recommend. I can I can understand <laughs> it being unwatchable for a, a decent amount of people, but. For if if yeah if there's people like me out there who love a good a good intellectual chat about the about the deeper about the deep aspects of life the universe and everything then yeah no this is this is this is a good one yeah I, and I highly recommend it yeah and it is good I think to break it's probably good for film students as well or directing students because you can like, uh, yeah I can I can honestly it's very see easy like to break, break down film. but I mean there's yeah. countless films like that you could break down and show this is good directing but. <laughs> Yeah, and also uh, just and if you're quickly, a Tommy Lee Jones fan, oh, yeah, blown away. Just quickly, <laughs> um, just a little little bit of, of trivia for you. Um, so Tommy Lee Jones, uh, apart from this one, has directed three films, and yep. all of them are, all of them are westerns. This is the only film of his yes. that isn't a western. Yeah. So, I just just a little bit of trivia. That's I just found it interesting that. He he will direct his last other three films westerns, and then this one, came, like he, I guess Cormac McCarthy just wrote it, and Tommy Lee Jones immediately read it and read the screenplay, and then fell in love with it and was like, "I can you please allow me to make a, a adapt this into a film?" I guess his first one, The Good Old Boys, is probably the the the, the classic western. Uh, three Burials is one of those. It's a modern day, you know, modern day. It's got like no country for old men. It's like a modern day western. Yeah. And then um, I think it's the the homesman. It's probably it's probably is a a period that has intrigued him a lot. Yes. So it's interesting that this is so so far removed from I, all parts any part of the western genre you can think of. This is I, the complete I, opposite I, of that. Apart from maybe the actual overarching theme, which is sort of like that's uh, well, not overarching theme, but one of the potential overarching themes, which is that sort of hopelessness and despair sometimes in that you find in westerns. Yeah, yeah. 
So maybe True. that's what sort of draw, drew him to it as well. And it just draws him to Cormac McCarthy probably in general because like, like he did do No Country for Old Men and that's probably another reason why because he's just drawn to that kind of... not Maybe not that way of thinking but maybe just that sort of... He's just intrigued by it at least. And you know, as an ageing actor. and Yeah, for sure. Once, probably once a movie star is... Probably not so much a star anymore, but you know, no. dealing with that personally as well through character is. Uh, he would be considered a, a veteran of the stage and screen, at the, uh, very much so. Yeah, because he's had a strange. Uh, he's made a lot of bad movies, but <laughs> like he's had a strange sort of latter part of his career as well. Like he's in action movies, um, and most recently at Astra, he was in The Family, which was a sort of weird, broken. That movie was strange. He was in Jason Bourne, the new one. Was in Mechanic Resurrection. Like he's been in, he's been in action movies before. For me, as an actor, he's not a movie star. Um, yeah, he's, he's yeah. often paired with a movie star, and he makes the movie star better. But I guess that might be what intrigued him to something like No Country for Old Men or something like this. They were pretty close together. Is that feeling of you know I'm getting pretty old? Not necessarily. Not thinking he's not the actor he used to be, but he's not the star he used to be. He's not you know bankable yeah. Tommy Lee Jones anymore. It is interesting what sort of I guess attracts actors to certain roles, especially one. Like, At certain times as well. One like this as well, which he probably knew was not going to be... Even if it got a theatrical release, there's no way this movie would have been successful. Um, so he would have known that going in, that he's, this is more like a passion project than a paycheck. So have you got any any last words? And where does this sort of fit in your pantheon of... Uh, so, I mean... Unlikable, unwatchable movies. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, for me... Again, it comes down to when I watched it in my in my time. So I guess it kind of it did hit me at the right place at the right time. So it is probably higher up in my list than most people's for what it is and for what it's trying to do and for the for what it for the message it's conveying. It's definitely in my top. I, d- I top ten to fifteen Fil- films for me, personal films for me. Like, if you're going by just top, top 10, 15 films for people to watch, I probably wouldn't put it up there. But for, for me, for, for just personal films, it's, yeah, it's in my top 10. If that's, if I can, if, if, if that sort of makes sense, I don't know if that made sense yeah, yeah, <laughs> at yeah. all. I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a difference between sort of the movies that you'd say people have to watch because they're sort of semi-universally accepted as great whether or not you yeah. actually like them. And like, yeah, oh, you're, you're wanting to get into film. You really, I, uh, you're wanting to, to enjoy yeah, the you art have of to, film. You have These to are watch, the films you need to watch. You have to yeah. watch 2001. You have to watch yeah. Blade Runner. Yes. <laughs> like you have to watch those movies. And then there's, you know, this podcast where we <laughs> chat about movies that people don't like that yeah. we, for some reason, which is like. Yeah, exactly. Which is, which is what The Sunset Limited is. No, yeah. not a lot of people are going to want to watch this film, and I get yeah, that. Yeah, and so for we, me personally, this is this this was this was a big one for me. Yeah, and we sort of all agreed, you know, going in that we didn't necessarily have to all like the movie. No, oh god, no, because it's that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is we're not always going to like like nah. like the movie. No. So another episode we've done recently, Batman v Superman. Very, there's a lot very... of people who will vocally tell you they don't not they do not like that film. Yeah, and obviously one of our one of our hosts has a very strong relationship with that movie compared to the other two. 
Yeah. Um, so make sure you listen to that one. Um, sure. But I think we're sort of, I think we're done sort of harping on about yeah. the strange experience that was the Sunset Limited. <laughs> um, yes. Didn't make me want to jump in front of a train, which is good. <laughs> anyway, thank you, thank you very much for listening. We got we got some good movies coming up. We got Bad Boys Two, personal favourite of probably maybe all of us. Definitely a personal favourite of mine. It's <laughs> Bayhem and it's at its in its pure form and its finest. And we're going to be covering the movie Dread as well, which was a critical success but a box office disaster, which is a change from the other movies that we've done, which have pretty much been yes. box office successes and critical disasters. <laughs> so looking forward to dropping those. If there's any movies that you guys want to want to hear, uh, hit us up on, on social media. In the meantime, enjoy COVID quarantine and watch along, watch along with us and let us know how you find those movies. 